A man uh, once came to Jesus and he said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Some things never change, do they? Uh, People were arguing about inheritances back in Jesus' day and to this day, obviously, uh, the subject of uh, inheritances, I'm not sure that's the word, but inheritances and what we get when someone passes away, especially when someone rich passes away, is a common bone of contention, isn't it? And this man came to Jesus and said to him, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And in response, Jesus, first of all, told the man, I'm not the judge. I'm not the one to decide where the inheritance should go or where it shouldn't. But then he gave a warning. He gave a warning in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Jesus doesn't get involved in the dispute about the inheritance, but he does say, beware. Beware covetousness. Your life doesn't consist in all the things you own, or all the money you have. And he told a parable. He told a parable about a rich man who had a great harvest. And the harvest was so great, he had to build bigger barns to contain all the grain that he had got. And he said, uh, after this bumper harvest, he said, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He was satisfied in the harvest that he had received. In the story that Jesus told, God said to him that night, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you have provided? And what's striking about that parable is that when God speaks to that man, He doesn't say to him, you greedy man, though he could have done. He didn't say, you selfish man, though he could have said that. He didn't say, you inconsiderate man, or you ungrateful man, you covetous man, you self-satisfied man, you arrogant man. He could have said all these things, but instead, what did he say? He said, you fool, you foolish man. In other words, this man's preoccupation with his wealth and his satisfaction with it was not only morally wrong, it was also stupid at the deepest level. And that is repeatedly the teaching of Christ and the teaching of the Bible. Uh, Wealth and riches are not only dangerous to our souls, but the desire for it is foolish and futile. And that is the emphasis which is 
struck again and again and again. Don't set your heart on riches. That is a foolish thing to build your life upon, aside from anything else. What it means is, is when we meet someone whose chief desire is to be rich, our first impulse uh, shouldn't be to despise them or even necessarily to rebuke them, but to pity them. Because the Bible says that is the most foolish foundation to build our life upon. And that really is the subject of the proverb that we are looking at this morning. Now let me read the proverb again. It's in Proverbs chapter 23, starting in verse 4. Uh, The wise man says, Do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. This wise man says, don't set your heart on riches. He knows that we need money. We all need money to survive, to get the things that we need. But he says, don't set your heart on it. Don't make that the ground and foundation of your life. Don't make that the point which you want most of all. He says, because riches are not. They fly away. They are here today and gone tomorrow. They're passing. They're temporary. It's a very unstable foundation to build your life on. Yet the tragedy is, so many people do just that. They set their heart on a bigger bank balance, on more stuff, more possessions, thinking it will make them happy, and yet they don't realize that by setting their heart on such things, they're actually ruining a foundation for true happiness. Reminds me a little bit of, I think I've probably told this story before, but I'll tell it again. I had a friend uh, who was, uh, as a child, the winner of a competition, and he got to choose his prize, and there were all sorts of prizes in front of him that he could choose. Uh, There was uh, a voucher for a robot. Uh, There was a camera. Uh, There was a uh, £200 voucher of just money, I think. Uh, And all sorts of other prizes. And uh, my friend was the first to go up to choose his prize. With all these things in front of him. A camera. A £200 voucher. And he chose a Star Wars DVD. Now, if you know anything about value, that DVD, probably worth maximum about £10, perhaps, and he passed over all these other things of much greater value, and needless to say, his family gave him grief for his choice. But you know the tragic thing? So many of us do that same thing, make that similar choice every day. We choose things of relatively small value, sacrificing things of eternal, infinite value. When we set our heart on things like money, on the passing things of this world, whether that be 
iPhones or MacBooks or designer glasses or shoes or luxury sportswear or handbags or jewelry or watches or sports cars or motorbikes, when we set our hearts on these things, we think that our happiness comes from those things. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, our life does not consist in the abundance of the things that we possess. That is not where happiness is found. Uh, I read this week, apparently, Donald Trump once quipped that those who say money cannot buy you happiness just don't know where to shop. Well, he was wrong. That's not true because happiness is simply not something you can buy. That is not where happiness comes from. And if you think it will satisfy you, you'll discover in the end that you are wrong. Again, I definitely have shared this story before, but it's worth sharing again. Now, William Randolph Hearst was a wealthy newspaper publisher, and he grew over his life an incredible collection of art, and he stored it in a warehouse. Uh, but one day he learned of a piece of artwork, uh, whether he saw a picture of it, and he thought, I want that for myself. And he sent uh, messengers to go, uh, sent agents to go and find this piece of artwork. And they scoured around finding where this artwork was so that he could buy it. And one of the agents came back to William Randolph Hearst and told him he had found where the artwork was. And it was in one of Hearst's own warehouses. He already owned it but it hadn't given him the satisfaction that he thought it would. But lest you think this is the problem of those who want more and more and more uh, stuff and possessions, it can manifest itself in other ways as well. Uh, there was a man called uh, John G. Wendell, and his he and his sisters were famous for being some of the most miserly people imaginable. Uh, they had received a huge inheritance from their parents, but they chose to spend very little of it. And they did all they could to keep the wealth and reserve and preserve the wealth in their banks. Uh, John was able to influence five of his six sisters never to marry, and they lived in the same house in New York for 50 years. When the last sister died in 1931, her estate was valued at more than $100 million but the only dress that she ever wore was one she had made for herself, and she wore it for 25 years. That is equally tragic. Some people spend their money thinking that possessions will make them happy, but other people hoard their money thinking it will make them happy, perhaps out of a feeling of security and a, a feeling that no matter what happens, we'll be safe because of all this money in the bank saved up for a rainy day, that never comes. Though those two sets of people show their love of money in different ways, it's the same problem which Jesus is warning against. Don't set your heart on the things of this world. There is something more. There is something better. There is something of infinitely greater value. I like the idea 
uh, that perhaps uh, the only things we will have in heaven are the things we gave to others. Uh, The Bible doesn't explicitly say that, but I like to think it might be true. So the only books we will have to enjoy our heaven are the ones we lent to other people. Uh, The only gadgets we will be able to play with are those which brought joy to others on earth. Uh, that the size we, of house we have in heaven, if we have houses, uh, will be proportional to the number of people we invited and offered hospitality to in the houses we had on earth. You might say, well, that's fanciful. You know, the Bible doesn't teach that. But Jesus came close. Uh, listen to what Jesus said in the same chapter, uh, I believe, where he taught the parable of the rich fool. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Do you see how Jesus is almost the personification of the book of Proverbs that we are studying? Uh, This proverb that we read in Proverbs chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, is expressed perfectly in Christ's life and in his words. He says, don't lay up treasures on earth. Don't overwork to be rich. Don't set your eyes on this world. But lay up treasure in heaven. This world is passing. This world is temporary but Christ's kingdom lasts forever. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the acronym FOMO, F-O-M-O. Now, you may have come across it on TV or perhaps heard your children or grandchildren say it if you're older. Uh, but FOMO stands for the fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. And it describes the attitude that so many people have that there's someone somewhere enjoying something which they are not. And they call it FOMO. Uh, the desperate fear that they are missing out on something. Uh, But there's a new acronym which has been used more recently. Uh, And that acronym is FOBO, F-O-B-O. And that stands for the fear of better options. And people being unwilling to commit to anything because they're afraid that if they accept an invitation to a party or an invitation to go somewhere, a little bit later someone else might give them a better offer. And yet they've already committed to something earlier. And they're afraid of the possibility of better options. Perhaps people here can relate to those fears. The fear of missing out. Or the fear of better options coming along. But you realise that both those fears are grounded in the idea that we've only got a limited amount of time. We've only got a limited amount of time on this earth and we've got to make it count. We've got to do the most and enjoy the most and have the most that we can now because we can't enjoy it later. And that is the feeling, that is the fear, that is the anxiety which drives so many people in this world, isn't it? Enjoy now because we won't have later. Tick, tick, tick. There's a limited window of opportunity, so we must enjoy life while we have the chance. 
But the Bible teaches, Christ teaches, that's nonsense. Because if you are a believer here this morning, this world is not your home. And if you're not a believer this morning, this world doesn't need to be your home. This world is just, if you like, the lobby to eternity. And a child of God doesn't need to ever fear missing out on anything. Because there's nothing that you can miss out on this world, in this world, miss out on in this world, which won't be amply made up for in the life that is to come. Uh, I went on a holiday uh, to Greece once a number of years ago, and I visited the little island of Ithaca. And uh, while I was there, I hired a little motorboat, and uh, I went out of the harbour, and I saw the sun shining on the clear blue sea and shining off the terracotta roofs of the houses in that island, and there were wooded mountains on the horizon above the sea, and it was beautiful. Uh, I loved it. I'd love to go back there again. But you realise, God is making a new heavens and a new earth. And do you think that anything in this world is going to even compare to the new heavens and the new world God is creating? So even if in this life you have to sacrifice a holiday or two, or uh, a certain amount of money, or a certain opportunity now, don't think that there won't be many more opportunities, many more wonders, many more glories to enjoy in the life that is to come. That's why Jesus said, Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you see how that transforms life? Do you see how that gives a whole different perspective to what we're building our lives on? You don't need to fret right now. You don't need to fret that you're giving too much or that you're, uh, you're losing out on opportunities because God knows, God cares, and the glory that's to come is not worthy to be compared to the glory of this world. That's why Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have life in all its fullness. When you look at Jesus' earthly life, you wouldn't describe it as life in all its fullness, would you? He was born in a manger, a place where cattle eat. Uh, As he grew up, he was a peasant in a despised village called Nazareth. His parents weren't notable, uh, Father was Joseph, who was a carpenter. And it seems he died uh, fairly young. At least he doesn't seem to be on the scene when Jesus was an adult. He spent most of his ministry in Galilee, which again was despised and uh, undermined by even people who lived in Israel. And then at the end of his life, he was crucified on a cross, which was the most shameful death possible in the Roman world. Look at that life by itself, and you think, what a waste. What a tragedy. And yet Christ 
lived the most fruitful life of anyone on earth. And now he's been given the name above every name. And he calls us to that same path. We don't need to die on a cross for the sins of the world. Jesus did that for us. But he does call us to follow him. To not live for the riches and the wealth of this world, but to set our sights higher for a better world, for an eternal world, one whose builder and maker is God. Now, let me say, having said all those things, uh, rest and recreation are good. Uh, God gives us good things to enjoy. Uh, None of what I've said this morning should lead us to say that we must live lives of uh, in a hovel somewhere or on the streets or whatever like that. No, God gives us good gifts to enjoy. But what he does say is don't set your heart on such things. Use those things for the good of others. Use those things not for your own selfish desires, but spend them and give them for the good of others. And Jesus says that's what it means to lay up treasure in heaven. And if you live life in that way, giving it to Christ, joyfully, gratefully giving it to Christ because of all that he has done for us, then we will have treasure in heaven. And when it comes for us to die, which we must all do one day, we won't regret whatever we gave to Christ. We might regret the time we could have spent with our family but didn't. We might regret the times in which we didn't do all we could for Christ's kingdom. But we will never regret all the time, all the energy, and all the money spent for him. So let me close with that question. What are you building your life on? Are you building on riches, on the abundance of things you possess, Or are you looking higher? Are you looking to Christ? Are you looking to his kingdom and for the riches that only he can give? And with those thoughts in mind, I've chosen as our final hymn, number 595. And this is a hymn which really uh, puts those thoughts into uh, song form. Number 595. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Naught be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. And particularly verse 4. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. So let's stand to sing number 595.